there were three sons that left home. And, and each of them went out into the world and they, and they prospered. They were all raised by a single mom who was very strong. And when at one point they met up together way away from home and the three of them got talking and they decided they were going to give gifts back to their elderly mom as their way of saying, thank you for everything you've done for us. The first one says, well, I built a big house for our mother. The second one said, well, well, I, that's good, but I sent her a Mercedes with a driver. The third brother smiled and said, I got you both beat. You remember how mom enjoyed reading the Bible? And you know she can't see very well anymore, so I sent her this remarkable parrot that recites the entire Bible. It took the elders of the church 12 years to train him and teach him. He's one of a kind. Mama just, all she has to do is just say the chapter and the verse and the parrot recites it back to her. Well, soon thereafter, the mom sent out letters of thanks to each of her sons. Milton, she wrote one son. The house you built is so big. I live in only one room, yet I have to clean the whole house. Gerald, she wrote, the second son, I'm too old to travel. I stay at home most of the time, so I rarely ever use the Mercedes, and the driver's so rude. Dearest Donald, she wrote to the third son, you have the good sense to know what your mother likes. That chicken was so delicious. You know, sometimes a letter is very encouraging. Sometimes, sometimes it gives some correction. Sometimes, but either way, it sends a message. Good morning, or, or good afternoon, or, or maybe good evening. It depends on when you're catching this message. But we're glad that you've joined with us wherever you are. My name is Roy. I'm the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And at APA, we hope that this 30 minutes is the most encouraging 30 minutes of your week. Well, we're well underway in a series that we've entitled Dear Church. We're into week five where we're looking at the seven letters in the book of Revelation that Jesus wrote to seven different churches. These letters were meant to instruct, correct, and encourage. And these letters weren't just meant for those churches of those times, but meant for the church of all time. And so this week we look at a church in, this, in a city called Sardis. Today, we're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. If you have your Bibles with you, you can open up. Otherwise, just listen along. But it says this in chapter 3, verse 1. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Sardis. Now, you notice that these letters all start this way. Addressed to the angel of the church. Angel, or angelos, which was the Greek, Greek term, meant messenger. And the assumption is here is the messenger of the gospel is the pastor of each of this church. So these letters are addressed to the pastor to read to the entire church. It goes on to say, this is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white, for they are worthy." 
All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. I want to look at what this letter means today. Uh, what does it mean for you? What does it mean for our church? Well, Jesus says, hey, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're actually dead. Wake up. Wake up. That's, that's our theme for today. I remember when I was in, in junior high or maybe a little bit younger, my mom would come in to wake me up to get ready for school in the morning. And it's funny because the first the first wake up was always very soft and encouraging. It was more like, good morning, wake up, time to wake up, let's go. The second one, when I didn't wake up, the second one, a little less encouraging, a little less soft. It's more like, okay, it's time to wake up. But the third one, well, that one just kind of got scary because it was more like, hey, wake up. Don't make me come in there with a bucket of water. And, and trust me, she threatened that many times. Actually may have used it once. As Jesus writes to Sardis, he has the bucket of water ready. Let, let's pray before we jump into the rest of this message. Father God, let us be aware of the areas in which we are asleep. And be knowledgeable in the areas that need to be stirred up. Let your spirit guide us to an honest assessment of where we're at. Amen. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard and I've learned so much about viruses and vaccines over the course of the last year, way more than I ever would have wanted to. I never cared before what an epidemiologist did or even probably used the term before. I never used the words asymptomatic before, but I've learned a lot about viruses and vaccines. And one thing I learned about vaccines is this, because up to now, I've really never really thought much of them. I mean, I knew they helped prevent certain diseases, but I didn't really care to know the, the ins and outs of them until this year. But according to WebMD, a vaccine is this. A vaccine contains a dead or weakened version of a microbe. It helps your immune system recognize and destroy the living microbe during a future infection. In other words, a vaccine is basically a dead version of a real thing that makes you immune to that real thing. That's what religion is for many people in North America. It's a dead version of a real relationship with God that makes you immune to the real thing. The real thing being the life-changing gospel message. It looks real. It looks alive from a distance. It may even look vibrant, but the reality is it's actually dead or a weakened version. As a result, it holds you back from experiencing the power of the living truth. That's what was happening in the church in Sardis. It looked alive, but spiritually it was on life support. See, we don't know a lot about Sardis. What we do know is it was about 50 kilometers from Thyatira, we studied last week. We know it was a powerful fort city. We know it was, we know it was built on a cliff for defense. We know that's the first place where coins were minted, gold and silver coins. So as, as a result, it was a very wealthy city. Outside of that, we don't know a lot about Sardis, except that we read that there seemed to be a very lively church in Sardis. They had a reputation. 
They had a reputation of being vibrant and active, the sort of like got it going on type of church. But what you see from the outside doesn't always tell the whole story. During this period of time, many of us have watched multiple services of other churches. And and when you watch the services, you kind of get an impression. Either your impression comes because the worship leader has this incredible energy, the the whole worship team does, or or, or the, the preacher has this fiery conviction. And it's easy to get an impression of the health of that church based on the online presentation that you see. But often there's more to the story. And that's not to say that there, there isn't a healthy, spirit-led culture in those churches that maybe you've watched online. But you need to get past the first impression. You need to see the fruit in the lives of those that call that church home and see the inner workings of what's really going on behind the scenes. And Jesus sees past the show, sees past the first impression. He can see past your reputation. He can see the innermost motivations in each of us and what lies in our hearts. And so Jesus says to Sardis, you look alive, you act alive, you're saying the right words, and you seem to be going through the, the, the motions that are fooling other people, but I know the truth. You're actually dead. And lovingly, he speaks that to this church. And lovingly, he may be speaking that to us as well. You see, if you grew up in a religious system that traded relationship with God for a set of conditions to please God, you knew something didn't add up. You knew something was dead, but you were told this is how it's supposed to be. But Jesus sees past the facade. He sees past the rituals. He sees beyond the reputation. And he determines whether you are in line with the Holy Spirit or whether you're just an imposter. You see... It's funny, when we think about missions and we think about the, the gospel message being spread, we often think of the missions being over there. You see, that's our job as Canadians, to deliver the gospel message to the rest of the world because we are a Christian nation that was founded on Christian principles. Well, we may have been founded on Christian principles, but we're no longer a Christian nation. If you look at a list of the, of the nations that have the largest Christian populations, And again, those are just people that picked a religion because the census asked for it. Canada does not even rank in the top 25 in the world of Christians. When we think of continents that they they badly need Jesus, we think of places like Africa or Asia. But do you know that the Pew Research Group did a study that predicted the top 10 Christian populations in the world by the year 2060? Six of those ten populations are expected to be countries in Africa. They only did the top ten, so I don't even know where Canada ranks, but I do know this. In 1991, 83% of of Canadians identified themselves as Christian. In 2018, the number was 55%, barely over half. See, we have a reputation as a Christian nation, but we are headed in the wrong direction. Could it be that we have a dead version of something that should be alive? Are we just going through the religious motions to, to appease our conscience? Are we just performing Christian karaoke on a Sunday, followed by a pastoral pep talk? Are we experiencing a dead thing that keeps us from experiencing the real transforma- transforming, real life, real relationship? I, I'm just asking. 
I feel like I've been in churches like that, where everyone there is there out of duty, out of obligation, and they come and they empty their sin bucket just so they can fill it up again the rest of the week, but there's nothing really changing happening in their lives. And they can recite a bunch of prayers from memory, and, but they go back to living their old lives the way they were, and nothing really changes. And then we wonder, why is our nation not flocking to the church for hope and answers? And Jesus says, wake up. I want to have a genuine relationship with you, not out of obligation, not out of duty. Step out of the barrier of religion. Step out of the chains of legalism and hear my voice. Wake up. See, this is how you step into the life, the joy, the faith, the hope, the freedom, the love that you and I want to experience in relationship with Jesus. And Jesus wants that so badly, but how does does he do that? Well, for anyone who wants the real version but is settled for a dead version, here are three things. Number one, he says, wake up. Wake up. Verse two literally says, wake up. I mean, no one, I don't think anyone likes an alarm. I'm an early riser. I don't really usually set an alarm because... Unless it's something that's really important. I'm just afraid that I'm going to sleep through. But even then, usually my internal alarm goes off before the physical alarm anyway. But there's nothing worse, honestly, than the sound of an alarm. Especially those harsh ones. You know the ones like... I don't like that alarm. For me personally, I would prefer a softer alarm. Something that kind of eases me into my day. I use my phone as my alarm. It's funny because one of the options that my... uh, Alarm my phone has is to set a song that's on my phone as my alarm. So the song starts playing and that tells me to wake up. The problem with that is this. Whenever I hear that song later on in the day, I have a physical reaction to hearing it because it's got this negative connotation to it. No one likes an alarm. But if there's something that's really important, we realize a wake-up call is needed. This past year has been the biggest wake-up call you'll ever experience. Your faith has been exposed, for good or for bad. Your foundations have been exposed. What you believe has been exposed in this last year. You see, if the last time that you spoke to God or you'd done the work of the Father was the last time that you were inside a church building that was open, your faith has been exposed. If you don't know what to do when the the church building isn't open on Sunday, Jesus says, wake up. For some of you, you like to hit the snooze button on your alarm clock. In fact, if I looked at your old alarm clock, the snooze button's probably worn out more than any other button because that's the one that you hit the most. But when it comes to your faith, stop hitting the snooze button. Wake up. Stop praying that everything will go back to normal. Stop looking in the rearview mirror of the last year and complaining about what has happened. Is it possible that in the midst of all this crisis that Jesus is ringing the bell? He's sounding the alarm that if the church settles for the comfort of what we've known for a number of years, that we will be irrelevant and wiped out? This could be the wake-up call that begins a revival in our country, in our province, in, in our towns, maybe on your street, in your home, maybe in you. See, 55% of Canadians 
checked off the box Christian. Christian. In 2018, you and I know that number of committed followers of Jesus is actually less. And the, that, that number is even less three years after that 2018 poll. Because what people clung to during the crisis reveals who their Christ is. And we know that for many people, it wasn't Jesus. Wake up and embrace this season for what it is and what it could be. The wake-up call our world needs. Number two, Jesus says, remember. Verse three, he says, go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Remember the message that changed you. Do you remember that school game, telephone? You know, where the teacher would line everybody up and the teacher would whisper a message into the first student's ear and they would turn, they whisper it to the second student and so on and so forth until you got to the last person. And that last person would say what they heard and it was never anything close to what the teacher started with. Telephone is what's happened to the gospel in North America. Somewhere along the line, the original message that God so loved the world that he gave us his son, Jesus, so that if we believe in him, we wouldn't spend eternity apart from him, but we would begin to life, live life to its fullest, beginning today and extending into forever. That was the original message that was passed to us. But somewhere along the lines it became God only loves the lovable. God will only do good for the good. He gave his son Jesus so that we would behave. He would tell us to behave. And if we kept the rules and we followed the rituals and we didn't sin, then we could make our way into heaven. We've settled for something less. And Jesus is saying, stop. Remember, remember, remember. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Remember the thing that I whispered to you when you decided to follow me. You are loved because God is love, not because of what you've done. He does good because he is good. He gave us Jesus out of that goodness and out of his love. You see, religion, religion says that we need to climb a mountain. And on the top of that mountain is God. And only the best and only the strong and only the one that, that, that endures will make it. And if you make it, well, obviously, you've earned it. But Jesus says, I'm going to come down off that mountain to you. I'm going to walk with you. Let me be your strength. Let, just put your faith and trust in me and let my relationship with you transform you from the inside out. He says, remember the original whisper. You are loved. You are valued. You are seen and God has come down for you. And every good thing in life is an extension of that relationship that you chose to step into with him. Remember. Third and lastly, repent. Wake up. Remember. Repent. Verse 3 says, repent. And return to me. See, re repent is the word of this series. This is the word that keeps coming up over and over again in, in these letters that Jesus has written. And in this series, repent. 
Repent's a word that brings about many things. It's, a, it's intense. It's, it's a word you don't really hear that often outside of the church. When you do, maybe it's on some sort of large sign or, or billboard. Maybe you've, you've been downtown Toronto and you've heard a street preacher screaming, Repent! Repent! Just screaming it at the top of their lungs. And in those contexts, it, it feels like a very judgy word. It almost feels like it's got a finger pointing right back at you. But when you understand who speaks it, when you understand what the result of repentance is, it goes from judgy, heavy religious word to becoming the most life-giving word your ears will ever hear. When you understand that it's Jesus... It's him that's saying these words. He's standing there with compassion, his arms wide open, and he's saying, repent, turn around. This word repent just seems different. You ever driven in a busy city, especially one you've never been to before? Like a few years ago, my family and I were driving through uh, New York City, and driving in New York is not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of things to see and lots of one-way streets and there's bicycles and couriers all whipping in and out of traffic and there's aggressive taxi drivers, lots of honking, people walking out into the street and street performers. And when you're driving around, you're trying to find your hotel and you rely heavily on your GPS in that moment. It doesn't take too much to go the wrong way or go off where you were supposed to go and every once in a while the GPS will reach out and say, Make a U-turn. In other words, you're going the wrong way. Turn around. Turn around. And it's funny, in that moment, I don't feel judged. I don't yell back, who are you to judge me, GPS? I'll go where I want. In that moment, you know, the GPS knows. This is the wrong way. I'm going the wrong way. It, it has information I don't. It, it knows the way. This is not it. So as soon as I possibly can, I probably should turn around. If you choose to listen to the one who knows the destination, who knows the best way to get there, that's what repentance is. Jesus lovingly says, turn around. I know the way. In fact, I am the way. Turn around. Repent. And what you get for repentance is this, is what Sardis was promised. You get to walk in relationship with the God who created you. You'll be dressed in white, which all that means is your mistakes, your scars, your pain, your regrets, all the mess-ups will be wiped clean. And your name will be written in the book of life, eternal salvation. I'll be honest with you. I don't know all the ins and outs of the book of life, whether it's a physical book or you know, what's written in, but what I do know is this. You want your name written in it. And your humility to repent, accept the grace that Jesus offers, and putting your complete trust in him writes your name in that book. I also know this, you need to make the reservation yourself. I remember a number of years ago, I was going to a basketball game, and, and we got to sit in the, 
the luxury box, which if you've never been in, it's a great way to watch a sporting event or a concert. Because you're not tied to a seat. You can kind of walk around. The seat you do have is ex- extremely comfy with lots of leg room and arm room. And it's, it's all you can eat food. And a lot of times there's actually a waiter or waitress that's assigned to your booth that will bring you whatever you need. It's a, it's a great way to watch, watch an event. And, and I was going to this, this, in this luxury box because one of my friends was, worked for a company that got the luxury box. So he kind of got it and was allowed to invite like four or five people that he wanted to, to uh, be with him in that. So I, so I get there and there's a, there's a separate entrance for the luxury box and there's security. And, and they need you to prove, they need you to prove that you belong in this section because like, honestly, who wouldn't want to watch a game that way? So there's lots of people who want to try to sneak in. And so the guard, I go up and there's a security guard and he says, he asked me my name. And I said, my name is Roy Hyde. And he looks down the list and my name's not on the list. And I realize, oh, right, my friend's name. So I give him my friend's name. And this is, he's who made the reservation. I, I claim I'm with him. And by giving his name, they let me in. That's not going to work for you one day. There will be a day where you stand before Jesus and, and giving your parents' name, saying, I'm with them because they, they love Jesus for so long. That won't give you access. Giving your spouse's name, that won't let you in. Dropping your pastor's name won't have any impact in that moment. Your name needs to be on that list. Your name needs to be written in the book of life. Only you can make that reservation. I want to take a moment, pray a very simple prayer. But by praying this with me and making a heartfelt decision that Jesus I'm ready to repent. I'm ready to turn around. I'm ready to submit my life to your leading and put my full trust in you. You make your own reservation into eternity with God. If you've been putting your hope in your traditions or the traditions of your family, if you've been putting your hope in your wealth or your own capabilities, let today be your day. Put your faith in Jesus and repent. And if you decide, I need to do that today, don't hit the snooze button. We aren't promised tomorrow. Pray this simple prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am waking up. Thank you for this gospel of hope. I repent and put my trust in you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today. I believe you've crossed over from death to life, that your name is now written in the book of life, and that you've begun a relationship with Jesus that will begin your transformation. We would love at APA to journey with you. I ask, ask if you made that decision, would you do me a favor? Would you send me an email at roy at myapa.ca? Roy at myapa.ca. Or also you can send one to Justin, our our family ministries pastor. You heard him speak a couple weeks ago. Justin at myapa.ca. And we would love to come alongside you and, and journey with you in this most incredible decision that you'll ever make. Thank you for gathering with us today. We're glad that you've joined with us to hear God's word. My prayer is that you would continue to push out the dead version of religion in place of the real thing, a life-giving relationship 
with Jesus. Have a great week. May you be an answer to someone else's prayer.